You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. Do you spend hours creating your rotors and then spend days constantly adjusting them? We have the solution. At Staff Savvy, we specialise in shift schedules and timesheet solutions for visitor attractions. Easily manage multiple complex teams of permanent, casual, freelance and volunteer staff across different locations and disciplines. With fast communication features, automatic compliance tools, training management and simple timesheet tools, Staff Savvy has been used and trusted by organisations such as V&A Dundee, the South Bank Centre and the Royal Albert Hall, with great cost-saving benefits. Visit us at staffsavvy.com forward slash brown sign project to learn more and schedule a demo of our magic rotor button. Hello, welcome to the Brown Sign Project, the podcast for tourism and attractions industry professionals. As I'm sure you know, I'm Carly Strawn and I would normally have Carlton with me, but Carlton is off somewhere exciting doing something super secret. But up in the intro, I just wanted to tell you about the episode that we have today. So in this episode, The Brown Sign Project, we've got a really great conversation with Hattie Simpson, who's the ticketing and digital manager for Woolwich Works. Hattie's going to share with us what stories can be told from statistics and data, the possibilities that you can open up when you network, and give us some great tips on creating boundaries for a really great work-life balance. We're also going to discuss inclusivity in the arts for the audience, but also for the professionals involved in it. But before we get to that chat with Hattie, which I promise is worth the wait, We'd like to have a really big thank you for our series sponsors, Staff Savvy and Stephen Spencer and Associates. The sponsorship we have from those two companies allows us to do more, to record more and to produce more episodes. And we're really, really grateful for it. So here we go on with the show. Hello, another day, a lovely day. For another podcast. Welcome to the Brown Sign Project, everybody. Um, my name is Carlton and we have Carly as normal. Hello, Carly. Hello, you're right. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm actually a bit hot today. Um, I know, it's, do you know what? I know it's been hot in the UK um, over the summer, but um, yeah, I'm in Doha and it's baking. I know. <laughs> and also, it's rained for the first time since I've been here. So, rain in the desert is very rare. Oh, so, I know. I know. But it has been. I mean, it's been much hotter in the UK. I don't care how hot Doha is. It's, okay, it's fine. Well, my AC is off, so I for the recording, it's so loud. I've had to put the AC off, so I am melting. Okay, but if we we'll get through half, this, if we lose you halfway through. We know why. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Oh, we have a fantastic guest on. I'm really excited to have a chat with this lovely lady, um, Hattie. Welcome to the Brown Time Project. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm really good. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm feeling the heat as well. <laughs> oh, yes, we are all feeling the heat. Um, so, yes, we're going to have a lovely conversation to kind of find out a bit about you. Um, as our listeners know, and we're going to be talking about careers and kind of how you've got into the um, into the industry and giving us some hopefully some little top tips um, to share to get people um, into the tourist attractions industry. So, 
Are you ready? I'm ready. I think I'm as ready as I can be. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Awesome. 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 Okay. Um, I'm going to give it over to Carly and she's got her first question to ask you. I have. Um, so my first question is, you have to tell us a little bit about yourself. So what do you do today? Who is Hattie Simpson? Uh, so I am a ticketing and digital manager for Woolwich Works, which is a brand new venue that opened for the very first time in September 2021. Uh, it's a, a multi-venue, multi program performance space uh we've got big spaces little spaces a courtyard uh in the middle that's currently got a got a beach and a rum bar in it which is lovely <laughs> wow so, i mean I need, I need to know more about this rum bar thank you very right? much <laughs> <laughs> it's called rumpy pumpy uh we do a range of rum cocktails and it's absolutely wonderful we've got branded deck chairs we've got parasols and we've got a load of sand <laughs> Awesome. That sounds great. I'm I'm there already. <laughs> yeah, we're we're all mentally sitting in the room bar right now. So we can all physically sit in the room bar at some point. Um, and so we've got an icebreaker question, which we're doing for everybody this season, um, because we're just really nosy, basically. Uh, which is, what did you want to do when you were a kid? We think it's quite telling as to what sort of dreams and hopes people had for their careers. I feel like it's quite classic, but I absolutely wanted to be an actress when I was a child. Uh, was in a lot of stage schools. I started off, uh, I grew up in Norfolk, so I started off at the Madam Market Theatre, Youth Theatre. I was part of Norwich Young People's Theatre. I acted and sang my soul out as a child. Um, and then I started to get a bit older and uh, realised that's probably a little less feasible, um, but got very invested in directing. Uh, so I always knew it was going to be something creative or always thought it was going to be something creative, acting, writing, directing. Um, and then I discovered the world of ticketing. <laughs> oh, welcome Fun to times. my world. Fun <laughs> times. Who needs acting when you can do ticketing? That's what we... <laughs> That's actually my company motto now. I've just played it. We don't need scripts. We need spreadsheets. Absolutely amazing. And um, so yeah, so that's quite a quite a jump to to go from um, yeah, kind of performing to essentially really behind the scenes, super behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a big part of it was just not knowing what options were out there. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I started off in youth theatres, very small, um, and uh, and then through school, was doing creative courses, uh, GCSEs and A-levels. I went off to uni, I went to Anglia Ruskin University uh, in Cambridge, not Cambridge University, um, and uh, studied theatre and film studies um, and did uh, directing and stage management while I was there as well. Um, and then my degree came to an end and I was like, well, heck, I need a job now. And uh, somehow managed to land a box office administrator role at the ADC Theatre, um, which is part of the University of Cambridge. It's an amazing little theatre uh, with a really strong programme. And uh, and turns out I'm quite good at ticketing. So uh, <laughs> found my niche in life and uh, and have been doing it for nearly 10 years now and and still wow. love it still love it even now my role now at Woolwich Works has expanded a bit um so I'm uh, ticketing and digital so I also cover uh, social media and website stuff as well so I'm doing a lot of content creation a lot of data analysis which I really really love that's my vibe um and uh, and yeah so it's a bit of a 
bit of a new world that I've stepped into, but my heart is still very much in ticketing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Ticketing, ticketing and more ticketing. Um, I know you've talked about your uni um, and I've got kind of a quick question regarding that. So can you just kind of briefly go through like what qualifications do you have? And do you believe that um, it has an impact in your job today? So, uh, so I did my GCSEs, I did five A-levels because I was an overachiever um, and then did, yeah, did a BA in theatre and film studies. Um, I really loved it. It opened me up to a lot of new genres, new creative mediums, um, new parts of the industry that I hadn't thought about, hadn't considered, things like live art performance. I wrote a whole paper on burlesque, which I absolutely fell in love with. <laughs> Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I would definitely say that my degree has not impacted the work that I do. Um, it was, I really loved it and really enjoyed it at the time and made some amazing friends and had some amazing opportunities. Really loved being in Cambridge, but it wasn't necessary to, to the role that I'm doing now. What is interesting is, uh, I, like I said, I do a lot of data analysis. I do a little, I live through spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm dealing with statistics every single day and I hated maths and specifically uh, statistics in school really? with a passion. They would make me come back after school to do my statistics coursework because I did not want to do it. I just wasn't handing it in. So I had to sit in the back of like the advanced maths class with kids who were a year younger than me and sit and do my coursework. And my teacher would be like, this is what happens if you don't do your work. So I feel like I should reach out to him and be like, hey, turns out I'd really love it now. And I I think there's a real thing in that because I I love statistics. I'm with you. Like I'm a I'm a big data analyst person. Like I love to tell a story yeah. through, through statistics. I love to be able to tell a story looking at the maths of it all. But I don't like I wouldn't quantify that as math. I yeah. would say that is that's understanding data. And I think that's a really different skill. So I always think that I'm like, I'm not particularly really great at maths, but like, give me a set of data and I'll tell you a story about it. Like, hundred percent. I feel like, you know, once you get to grips with Excel formulas, you're away. <laughs> you don't need to be doing mental maths. <laughs> you don't need to be able to work out a percentage offhand at lightning speed. Like it's all there. In oh, front of I mean, if you looked at my Google, um, like search engine, it would mainly be me asking how to do percentages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter how many times I learn how to do it. It doesn't. <laughs> I do think it's a really interesting um, discussion because I think you, even in your bio, you said, you know, I'm kind of a storyteller of statistics. And how do you think, like, how do you use that skill today? So what stories are you telling and what are the statistics that you're working with? Just so that people can kind of see, OK, this is the data I have and this is what I'm doing with it. Yeah. So it, it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, I, audience analysis is is my my biggest passion um, in the industry, being able to understand the data that's in front of us. But a big part of that is also translating it for other people. You know, not everyone lives through spreadsheets. <laughs> not everyone can look at a list of percentages and understand what it means. Um, and so I really enjoy being able to, to, to translate it into, into something that makes sense for people, because that's how you make change. And that's how you use the data to get actual results from. So being able to 
to to read a, a big old spreadsheet or a bunch of different reports that tell you different things about different groups of people and being able to quantify that and say okay well this data set like this, this sales report from uh bar sales through a show tells us that people like a specific kind of drink people like a gin and tonic so in the next time we have something that's similar or a similar crowd coming in because we can use the data to predict when that kind of crowd is going to come in we're going to expand our offering so the the thing that I think is is really important is being able to to lay it out in a way that makes sense for different departments because when you've when you're somebody who who deals with the data analysis in an organization it often means that other other parts of that organization don't have that kind of connection to that data so just sending off like pages of reports to people and saying this is important you should know about this often doesn't doesn't scan because that's not other people's priorities or that's not something that's part of yeah. what they do you said something really interesting when you were talking about kind of the gin the gin and tonic crowd let's call them is that <laughs> If you are running just a bar, you you would know that. You would know that without statistics because you would think, well, of course I know that I sold more gin on a day. What you know, maybe, maybe I get to learn that above a certain temperature, I sell more gin and tonics. Below that temperature, I sell more beer. That's a, a thing that somebody who runs a bar would generally be able to tell you. But you're not just running a bar, you know, yeah. you're running all this other stuff and you have to make sense of it in lots of different ways for lots of different you know venues people areas of the business and I think that's the difference is you can't do all of that by just sense in a way that you could if you were just running one very small part of that business yeah absolutely and and when you're involved in data analysis it is kind of your responsibility to make that make sense for other people um I gave a talk at uh Intix International Ticketing Conference um earlier this year in Florida using a data analysis model that I've kind of been working on um, called Average Audience Members. Um, and I gave the talk again at um, Spectrix Hubs a few weeks ago as well. And it's about, it is about storytelling. It's about turning that data into something tangible. Um, so it's something that I worked on while I was at the Lyric Hammersmith Theatre. Um, and it's, it's using all the data that's available to you, your sales data, your bar data, um, whatever you, you can get your hands on, as well as external sources as well. I think it's really important to look beyond just your own data. So I'm always using things like um, local authority ward profiles and um, even things like uh, TFL reports. I look at station football, footfall reports. Uh, I look at um, average journey times, things like that. A booking period, how far in advance are people booking? Where are they coming from? Just somebody's postcode, just working out your average postcode can tell you a huge amount about your average audience yeah so being able to take all of that data take all of those statistics from lots of different resources and then turn them into a person with a name and a picture I troll stock photo websites (laughs) 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 and yeah give them a name give them somewhere that they live give them a story because you can tell that if you dig deep enough you can see what an average job role is or an average income level is and and use that to inform what you're doing so averaging out all of that data to say okay here's a generalized picture of our audience our audience is a woman in her 40s she works in the heritage industry she has x 
salary so she's we can expect that she's got a certain level of disposable income she rents privately she has a 14 year old daughter she likes to book on her phone she likes Facebook ads you know things like that start to feed into your strategy and help inform your marketing strategy your visitor experience strategy your ticketing strategy all of these different things it feeds into what you can expect from your audience and then helps you build what your audience can expect from you and it is it can be a bit of a catch-22 if you're averaging out your your audience and saying okay well this is who our audience is likely to be so we will just feed into this but the next stage the next thing that I'm also very passionate about is understanding who your audience is not so what who is missing from this picture what groups aren't represented here and saying okay well how do we get from a to b because that's the most important thing you we're trying to open our doors to organizations and attractions and venues as wide as we can but how how do you open them even further to make those spaces feel like they are for everyone and that everyone can walk in the door and feel like it is for them and they have ownership over the space but if you don't understand who your audience is or isn't then you don't know how to fix that you don't know how to develop that so it's it's looking at what you've got looking at what you haven't got looking at what you want and then how to move from A to B. And data is the key. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I, love I, it. I think I love doing that work with people when you say, you know, well, who's not in the room who you would like to be in the room? And, you know, you can kind of say, well, I did um, a, a venue recently where we were looking at attracting kind of uh, their ideal client is kind of this older American couple who are coming for two weeks on holiday and they're going to you know it's like a holiday of a lifetime so really different to probably the the kind of clientele that you're seeing through through Woolwich Works um and sort of saying you know who are these people and oh actually they're 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 Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton is who they are (laughs) and you know suddenly everyone has this light bulb moment of like oh now we know who we're talking about actually we you know and 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 it feels like a stereotype but as long as you have the data to to back it up to say no this is how people behave this is what they buy this is how they book actually it's not a stereotype anymore it's understanding the needs of your customer and I love that light bulb moment when everyone's like oh I get it now I know who we're talking about I can imagine them I can see them I can see the things that they're going to do yeah exactly that after we started doing that at the lyric suddenly we were having conversations about Suzanne who lives around the corner and she loves the white wine but you know those conversations weren't really happening before because saying oh this percentage of our bookers booked a white wine that like that doesn't really mean anything to people (laughs) but being able to say oh this is a show that Suzanne will like and we know that she likes a white wine so let's put on some more suddenly opens it up to make sense to people and that's the point of that's the point of storytelling with data I didn't understand what people meant by that for a long time because I was like but I love a spreadsheet and I love a graph I do. Not everybody does. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really key. Um, you talk, you you sort of talked a little bit in there about um, industry events, so events that you've attended. Um, where do you go to learn? Because obviously, you know, you you didn't learn about this necessarily at university. So mm. where are you learning this stuff? Where are you going to kind of find out more about about the things that you're interested in? The the best place to learn is the people around me the either the people that I work with or people 
wider in the industry since I started like actively trying to make connections with other people which can literally be as simple as like tweeting them and saying I love your work or um sending an email and and saying oh you've done this a really amazing project and I'm looking to do something similar where I work like can we can we chat that's how I started but I mean I am a big old nerd for conferences I love a conference <laughs> I love a networking group um my favorites are the ticketing professionals conference uh, which is held every year in Birmingham it's an amazing team behind it who make the event really special and feel like a really important community the program of of sessions is always really really strong and I come away with pages of notes on things that I want to do and want to look into and want to try when I get back to my venue um the one this year was the first time since 2019 and it felt quite emotional to be in the room with everybody again it felt really special to be able to look people in the face and say hasn't it been hard <laughs> that felt like a really important thing yeah. this year and again a lot of connections come out of that and even just you know passing people during the coffee break and saying oh I, I think I know you or, or looking at someone's lanyard and saying oh where are you from I've heard of that place tell me more um I also I'm really lucky to have been a recipient of the professional development grant for the Intix International Ticketing Association Conference uh twice now I went um once to Texas uh, in 2019 and uh once to Florida um earlier this year and that's a whole other level because it's the global community and I mean, I've, I found Glo out global data nerds. We're a whole new <laughs> level of data nerds. I would love to get my hands on some of that data. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, be, so being the, I found out about the scholarship um, through social media, just from professionals that I was following, or like organizations, networking groups that I was following, found out about the scholarship without really knowing anyone connected to it and was like, ah, I'm gonna, I'll give it a go. We'll see what happens. And suddenly out of the blue, got this email saying, congratulations, you're coming to Dallas. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> the, 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 the nerd in me grew exponentially. <laughs> it, but it was such an incredible experience to be able to meet people who do what I do and seeing how those roles work in different countries and what those different priorities are. Like we see a lot in the US that customer service is, is a whole other level. Um, so it's really interesting to talk to people about how things like ticketing is, is valued. And uh, in Australia and Northern Europe, it's it, it's amazing. And there's there's so many cool ideas coming out of so many different places and being able to just be in the room with people and talk to them and I mean I, I'm su surprisingly I'm a bit of an introvert um so the prospect of standing in a room full of people that I've never met before and just going up and talking to people was terrifying but I did it <laughs> and, and I've had some amazing experiences out of it I've yeah. made some incredible connections and like genuinely friends for life as well as a professional support network of people that I can call on whenever I'm struggling or if I need someone to bounce an idea off because I mean with ticketing as well it's it's quite niche in <laughs> in organizations anyway so trying to talk about some some kind of data issue that I'm struggling with yeah with other people who work in different parts of the organization they don't always get it and that's fine that's that's to be expected but having a group of people that I can whatsapp and say hey guys I'm trying to run a report and it's not doing what I want it to do what do you think is 
like it, it makes things feel a little bit better yeah I, I still think you know ticketing has been around you know as long as people have have been places you know whatever the, whatever your definition of ticketing is it's been around a long time and yet it, it in different organizations people aren't quite sure where it sits so for some it's yeah. operations for some it's marketing for some it's you know it, it sits in your finance team sometimes and it is it's it, it's not it's very rarely seen as sort of a job in its own right I think it is quite an interesting like say to have that that network of other people who do that quite niche job across the globe actually you know brings some kind of I don't know sense of belonging to it sense of community and 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 helping each other and I think we underestimate that the power of that sometimes it says not all networking has to be what what can I get out of this but just actually sometimes just nice to know that other people are struggling with the same things you are or, or, or tackling the same problems I think it makes a big difference it's, it's really important to kind of share information as well you know because if you don't share, you can't make the industry better. Yes. Um, and I know there's a lot of people like kind of just hold that information like, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody because, you know, it's secret and it's only for my organisation. I'm like, yeah, that's great. But if you if you do tell somebody, then it's going to help help the whole industry in general. So, um, yeah, sharing is and, caring. Yeah. And I think some people are a little afraid sometimes that like they might share something that was unsuccessful. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to, sh- we tried something and it didn't quite work how we thought. And there's sort of, you know, not a, not a shame as such in it, but people think, oh, it's not important because it didn't work. Well, actually, you know, because someone else might make it work <laughs> or someone yeah. else might be thinking about doing the same thing and you can guide them and say, this is where we went wrong. I think that that fear of failure is like, no, just get over the fear of failure. Share your failures too, because they help everybody. Yeah, absolutely. One of the amazing things to come out of the pandemic was the Ticketing Network Forum, which was set up by Samuel Bisco from uh, Colchester Mercury Theatre and Danny McLaughlin from Hull Truck Theatre. And it started off as just a bit of event session while we were all running box offices from home and not knowing when our venues were going to open again um and it started off just with a few people and then a few people more joined and uh and it's it's been amazing and and we now we meet sort of every couple of months or so um on zoom and uh somebody described it as uh, ticketing therapy because we all get together and vent and talk about what we're working on how things are going but one of the key things is what this what the struggles are what the challenges are what are we finding difficult because more than likely someone else will pipe up on the call and say oh we tried that here's how we did it or have you thought about this or have you spoken to this person and that for, for me as well um because I was made redundant um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. But to still be able to have a foot in the door in the industry with a group of people that I really respect, that I really admire, that it inspire me all the time, was really valuable. And even now, still being able to reach out to that group and say, hey, I'm trying to do this thing. Has, has anybody thought about this? Or does anybody know any companies that do this kind of thing? Is, is so vital. It's... You, you said community earlier and it is exactly that it is it is like community in life is incredibly important but a professional community as well is is so valuable every journey a visitor takes through your attraction should immerse them in your values and heritage and leave them wanting more 
Stephen Spencer and Associates are a team of highly experienced tourism and retail aficionados who will help you develop a sixth sense in order to maximize every opportunity. We're here to help you build and engage your team to own and enhance your visitor experience. Above all, we're here to help you increase your profitability in these challenging times because people become engaged team members and loyal customers when they love your attraction as much as you do. You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. You know, it sounds like you obviously love your job. You love what you do. You love the data. Um, so I'm going to ask you a little, little question about kind of your younger self. Kind of um, what advice would you give your younger self to get to where you are today if you had to change anything? <laughs> um, the advice I would give myself is uh, be determined. I mean, I... I think it's fair to describe me as determined. You put a challenge in front of me and I'm going to try and see it through. But yeah, even when things get tough is to keep going forwards because it's the only direction you can go. So to find a community of people that get it and can support you as well, whether it's your mates, whether it's the people that you work with, people in the wider industry, creating that network around you is 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 really vital and in some ways I wish I'd done it earlier I wish I'd known how to um but yeah just just sort of taking the plunge in just talking to people and making connections um I think is really vital and it's it seems quite scary but it 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 is so simple as you know replying to someone on Twitter commenting on somebody's post on LinkedIn and I think you you're right though like when you're younger when you're sort of starting out in in your chosen career and, and even you know for some of us didn't even realize it was a career we yeah. sort of you know thought you get your first job and you think well I quite like this this is this is pretty cool um and but you sort of all and I think it's a real thing of everybody feels like a, a fraud right at some point in in your career you think oh god everyone thinks I'm this really great professional human being and I'm just me um but everybody feels like that and if they don't feel yeah. like that today, they felt like that at some point in their past. And so I think you're right. I think lots of us are afraid of feeling that when we reach out to somebody, maybe we're not the most professional or we're not the most, you know, why would that person want to speak to us? Yeah. And actually what I've realized is everybody likes a chat generally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're a pretty sociable yeah. industry and Absolutely. Uh, you know if, if if somebody reaches out to you and and is genuine you know not as I'm looking for something or you know I need I need a thing but I'm genuinely just looking out for I'm interested in what you do or I'm interested I think most of us would respond to that pretty positively yeah hugely so I mean I I love a chat but it's it, it's really lovely because because I have been doing this for for 10 years um sort of seeing people new into the industry and new faces at conferences and things it's really lovely and I really love it and I'm always really happy to talk about you know my experiences and what I really love as well is being able to connect other people and being able to put other people in touch or say or somebody says you know oh I'm I'm looking for something that does this or I'm looking to start this kind of project and being able to say oh have you spoken to this person or have you looked at this company I I really love that as well I think that's also part of part of networking but um but to to finish answering your question as well um 
one of the other pieces of advice that I would give to my younger self, and I feel like this is something that I've only started to value as I've gotten older, is rest. <laughs> rest. Set your boundaries. Set boundaries. Because I think the where I work in, in the arts industry and in, in venues, it, it is absolutely, you know, built on passion and goodwill. And it's easy to work really long hours because, you know, it's got to get done. But actually being able to stop and be chill, <laughs> go and do some nice things, go and see your friends, go and see your family and just relax and switch off means you can come back to things bigger, better and stronger the next time. And that's really important. And during my early mid twenties as well. And when I moved to London as well, I was like, I've got to go, go, go all the time. I've got to prove myself, which goes back to what you were saying about feeling a bit like a fraud sometimes and feeling that in imposter syndrome as well is you, the constant need to prove yourself that you, you are worth it. You're worth being here in this job, but you are dependable. But working yourself to the point of burnout is not helping anyone one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given is that it's okay not to have your work emails on your phone <laughs> so when I started at Woolwich Works this is my friend Dion Wilson who's at Punch Drunk um gave me this advice when we both worked at the Lyric together and um and, and so when I started this job I was like right I've I've spent four months unemployed with no work stresses and I quite liked it so <laughs> The no work stress. Uh, so what can I what can I bring from that into into my new role? How do I set better boundaries? How do I go into this new organization and be the best that I can be? Not which doesn't mean the hardest working person humanly possible. So I have not had my work emails on my phone this entire time, and it is a blessing. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, and I and I would I would say that is a big learning, and I think. My gut feel is that people are getting better at it. Mm. Is that as, and I think I speak for the three of us on this call, we were probably at the, the age of you, mobile phones constantly being on you was as we came into adulthood. And so that was just, a, it was like, this is amazing. You can be on call all the time. It's like, we were the first generation to sort of live right into that and to have the technology to do that. And so now the sort of the people coming up behind us have our experience to say, actually, that's really not very healthy. That's actually really bad. We've had enough experience now to realize that maybe you do just need a rest and, you know, you, you can go home at the end of the night and, it, it, you know, it, it's not life or death if you answer an email. Yes. Um, no one I, ever died from ticketing and marketing <laughs> no, no and, and I really hope that we are getting better at it I think my, my gut feel is that we are I think we still have some you know a long way to go but I, I hope that our next you know the, the new crew coming up and coming through will 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 be less tolerant of that um kind of always on um type work work ethic because I just don't think it's healthy for anybody yeah it's it's not and I think especially in in these kinds of industries as well where it is weekends and it is evenings and you know sometimes you do have to go above and beyond the hours that you you know that an office job would be but you have to find the balance and yeah. you have to find what's important to you and what what you value as well and and yeah, yeah I, and and totally so so you've you've sort of led me into that our our next question which, which is around kind of top tips and I, I think that is a, a number one top tip is 
when you work in something you're really passionate about you can it's very easy to kind of tip over into but this is me this is my personality this is who I am and that gets very wrapped up in you know in in your work in how you sort of turn up to work who you are at work and then who you are at home and I think so so what would your other tips be for surviving (laughs) oh (laughs) I mean all three would be boundaries 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 but (laughs) Uh, my other tips for working in the attractions industry is um the (laughs) Uh, this is another really big, good bit of advice that was given to me once is uh the customer isn't always right but they should always come first in your decision making process um i went to a, a really interesting session at uh, the ticketing professionals conference um 2019 um by samuel bisco and uh it was one of the things that he talked about was how uh, an organogram for an organization looks internally but what that what the levels of importance are to a customer as well so you know we look at our organization in organograms and you've you've got your chief executive at the top and you've got what are often your front-facing staff casual staff assistants at the bottom but to a customer it's completely flipped it's uh you know the 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 people who they're dealing with face to face are the most important people to the customer you made an interesting point there because we we have a discussion quite regularly and you know people are probably bored of me saying it now is that we put generally our most important resource which is the people that get seen all the time by your by by your visitors or your customers or clients or whoever are usually the worst people paid people and worst trained people in your organization and actually the ones that have a really difficult job (laughs) and that we don't we don't always value those positions in a way that our customers would value those positions. So people who make really great front of house staff that we think actually they're brilliant with customers and they just get it and they're really great is we encourage them to leave those positions <laughs> because, because we go, oh, you you know, you you should be promoted. And it's like, but no, but they're really good with, with guests. And I think you're right. It's like if you flip that the other way around and you think, well, who should be getting my money and my resource and my training and my support is actually they're the probably the people that need it the most I think that's really important yeah the, like I said the customer isn't always right we know <laughs> but they're yes. frequently wrong <laughs> but if you if you value their experience and what's important to them then that helps guide how your organization should be running which which I guess is not great advice for <laughs> <laughs> no but I would say if, if you value you if you value your sanity as somebody who works in tourism the the phrase the customer is always right will soon rid you of that sanity that you have <laughs> yeah. left so yeah. you're, you're better off mm-hmm. getting into that mindset quite early on thing is, as long as, as long as the customer's okay you know because yeah we, we can't help everybody because everyone's got so many different needs and different expectations as long as they're okay they're okay maybe, you know? maybe we should go from the customer is always right is to like the customer is in no danger yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is the customer in danger no great okay no. we can, we can carry on Bye. <laughs> That's oh my, my, my word my new you can all have that on a new name badge <laughs> thank you I'm going to put that in my training, actually. You should, yeah. Are they yeah, in, are they in mortal peril right now? No, <laughs> right, okay. Solve the next problem because that's problem number one. <laughs> oh. Awesome. 
Yeah, sorry, that, I, I don't even think that was the tip that I was trying to give. Uh, <laughs> well, it is now, it's forever it on record. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Brilliant, absolutely. All right, I think let's let's move away from these top tips because we're just going well, to give, give you one more. Oh, yeah, got one more. Yeah. Okay, got one more. give us one Which more. Which is actually we'll like a reasonable on. one. <laughs> <laughs> God, give us one more. Um, so my my third top tip is uh, organization is is really important. Sorting out your admin, sorting out your inbox. Don't let it build up. Get stuff sorted, but find a method of organization that works for you. Um, you know, I. I I keep all sorts of lists all over the place, which works for me. It doesn't work for everybody else. I really, really love a Trello board so that I can actively track what I'm working on. Now, I'm not somebody who can work on one thing at one time and see it through to completion and then move on to the next thing. I have to be doing at least three things all at once. I have three screens at my desk so that I can do everything that I need to do, which is a lot of things all at the same time but finding that process that works for you and you know look at looking at there's there's all sorts of like instagrams and tiktok videos and stuff about like different different methods of organization and different ways of helping a brain and stuff that that can work but once you nail that then you're flying but it's i think especially when you're coming into the industry new and you want to do everything all at once for everybody it's quite easy to get snowed under and to get a bit overwhelmed by everything but making the time carving out that time to sort out your inbox or answer a phone call or get this job done there's always those admin jobs that we put off for ages because we think it's really stressful and you do it in two minutes and then it's done and it's off your plate and it's like why have I been looking at this post-it note for three weeks when I could have got it done in two minutes I routinely push like books about kind of um what's the the book that I'm reading at the moment is called Indistractable and it is about kind of not sort of being forced off on tangents because I think I'm I'm a pretty similar mindset of like I like doing three things at once but sometimes I just need to get job number one done yeah and it's very practical around actually limiting the thing that you're doing and saying like what am I meant to be doing at this time and then I can be distracted later <laughs> and I, you know one of the, the one of the best things I sort of got into the habit of doing was putting an hour aside every day to read emails and deal with emails and then the allocating time to do the jobs that came out of those because otherwise you're like oh okay I'll read my first email oh I've got to do something and then you get distracted into that and it's I think that those things aren't necessarily the things that you get taught when you are learning a new job and I think sort of the real people that you think that actually, God, they really seem to have their job down pat are just the people who are just making them, themselves up more organized. Yeah. <laughs> Whether that's artificial or natural, comes to them naturally. I think that's really- 100%. And, and I think, like I said, not, not every method suits every person and it's finding what works for you. I know I work well under pressure. I know that I my, some of my best work comes right before a deadline, which is terrible. And I don't advise it, but I know that about myself. So if I can put like false pressure on myself, then I can get it done earlier. So it's it's not trying to fight your natural instincts and your natural abilities and ways of working. Um, 
yeah, and not not feeling guilt when you're looking at somebody else who has a really tidy, really clean desk with lovely stationery while I'm sat there with three coffee cups and headphones and the, like a bunch of post-it notes and bits of scrap paper and some old ticket stock and a camera on my desk. And I'm like, this, this is fine. This is just, this is me. <laughs> Excellent. Oh my gosh. I was going to give you a little top tip from, from me. I have that one minute rule. If I can do it in one minute, then I'll just do it. That's, I mean, that's great. Simple as that, you know. <laughs> I'm going to try that when I get back yeah. to the office. My issue is that I'm quite, I have, I'm bad at judging time. I'm terrible at saying, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I can get that job done in an hour. And then two days later. Uh, <laughs> but again, that's something that I've learned about myself. There you so go. I know to double the uh, the amount of time I think I can get it done when someone's asking me how long it takes. And if I can get it done in one minute, then, uh, then they'll be pleasantly surprised when I've said, I'll get it to you next week. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm not expecting to do the whole detailed report in one minute. But maybe, you know, you see your coffee cups, you're like, oh, I could just take that to the trash. Done. <laughs> Minute done. Easy. Um, Brill, so we're going to go to our next question. Uh, it's all about you and your why. What is your why? Why do you do what you do? And kind of what kind of way gets you up in the morning to go, you know what, I love my job. I love what I do. Um, it's, that's a funny one because... Uh, I got into the industry accidentally, as so many ticketing professionals do. <laughs> I feel like so many people in ticketing I talk to and they're like, no, I didn't intend to do this, but I, I stayed because it's actually really good. Um, so it, it's funny to think about my motivation because this was never the plan. However, I love it very, very much. <laughs> and it is the reason that I get out of bed every day. Um, but to go back to talking about data, because I'm a huge data nerd um, and audience analysis, my my biggest passion is trying to make venues feel more inclusive for the people walking through the door. Not just what's in a mission statement, not just what we're putting out on websites and in press releases and stuff, actually making the venue feel like a space that is for everybody and the local community is always your immediate audience it's always the the people that are on your doorstep and they should be able to walk through the door and say yeah this is my local venue this is this is on my doorstep and I know it and I love it and I know what's going on here I think that's really important and data is really important in being able to do that and using those external data resources using what councils make available using the there's loads of data on uh, the Office for National Statistics website. There's all sorts out there and it's being able to understand who those people are and what motivates people to walk through a door and understanding what those barriers are, getting rid of them. There's, I feel like pre-pandemic, the industry was very stuck in its ways and was very like, these are our refunds policies. These are our exchange policies. You bought your ticket, no refunds. The pandemic obliterated that. We can't operate that way anymore. Like our audience doesn't operate that way anymore. So we need to make the venue, we need to make our policies more accessible and more understandable. One of the things when um, I started working here, we did a lot of analysis about the local area um, and understanding the um, the the wider borough, southeast London as a whole as well, um, and looking at uh, what arts opportunities there are in the area. And there's not much. And looking at the, those reports, some of our local boroughs have the lowest level of engagement in the arts uh, with the arts in the whole of London. Well, if we're trying to open a venue 
and invite people in if people have never stepped foot through a through a venue door before they don't know what to expect one thing that I was really conscious of is that there's so much terminology and lingo that's used that we all know because we all, we work in the industry we understand what different things mean what advanced tickets mean what standard tickets mean what a cloakroom is you know what what a dress code is what all what all of these things are and what's expected of people when they walk through the door but if you've never been before and you see something that's advertised and you go that looks quite cool I'm thinking maybe I'll go but I don't know what to expect when I walk in the door that's a huge barrier so it's it's making that language more accessible and making those even things like frequently asked questions making those relevant to what people are actually asking and what people are interested in and what they're nervous about, what those anxieties are, like, what are your chairs like? What size are the chairs? Do they have armrests? Things like that is they're really simple things that you can get up online that we need to be doing more of. Yeah. I think there's, there's lots of stuff around kind of visibility of, I think sometimes we can be, a little bit closeted about what's beyond our door because we feel like if we give away what's beyond the door why would people come I mean that's a really terrible argument anyway because yeah. you know you should be offering something more than just the contents of a room like you yeah. know that, that that's not an experience um but I do think we can be quite precious about like well if we show people the interior of a building well they won't come and it's like no, actually, for a lot of people, if you show them the interior of a building, they will come because they want to know what to expect. They want to be able to see, um, do, will, I, will I look out of place here? Will I feel self-conscious in this space? You know, try and show people using your venue. Try and show people and, and different people, not just the people that currently come for your door, but the people that you might want to attract, you know, that might not come for your door, that might not feel comfortable. It's like start engaging them because because otherwise you're fighting a losing battle. Yeah, exactly that. I, the, the way I tend to think of it is is trying to open the door as wide as possible and then putting in the biggest doorstop to keep that door open for everyone. It's it, it it's really important. And, you know, obviously there's with the arts industry and and entertainment industries and everything there's there's a lot of cuts being made there's fewer resources smaller teams are having to work harder than ever before but we can't lose sight of that and you know there's I mean there's been stuff in the news lately about you know certain art forms being very elitist and all this kind of stuff and it's like well, well there's, there's ways to combat that and if that's what people think in general then we need to be doing something to change it it's the, the arts is for everybody every single person there is a there is a space there is a ticket for everybody so we need to make sure that people understand that and recognize that and hear about it just hear about it in the first place and have the opportunity to decide maybe it's not for them yes we had a a great conversation about opera and I was like there is literally nothing about opera that would make me make me want to come but I wouldn't feel intimidated to come I but I get I at least get to make that decision for myself yeah to experience it and then think "Ah, actually that's not that's not my bag that's fine um what challenges have you had in terms of actually the tourism industry because I think sometimes that the the arts industry and the tourism industry can also be that way it's not just our venues you know sometimes we don't see ourselves as somebody who works in an arts venue or works in in a tourist attraction so what's your experience around kind of changing that mentality as well not just the people coming in but the people who work there 
Well, I grew up uh, in the middle of nowhere in Norfolk. <laughs> we didn't have streetlights or pavements. Uh, I really mean countryside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I w- I'm lucky that that Norwich had, and even more so now, had some really great theatres and really great things like youth theatres with things like bursaries and stuff, so that I could go. Um, I grew up just me and my mum. Um, we didn't have lots of money to spend on like going to the West End to see shows. Um, when we could, we did because my mum has always really valued arts and entertainment and experiences. So those are the things that we always tried to do when we could. Um, and that has massively instilled in me the importance of inclusion and making sure that, like I said, that that venues feel like a space for everybody because I didn't always feel like that as a kid. Um you know, sitting at the back, at the top, barely able to see the stage. <laughs> you can't see people's experiences. I, I feel you're, you literally just made me think of a memory of, we went to see Panto once with them, um, with Craig Charles in it. Everyone knows who Craig Charles is, when he was really famous. I, I'm from Hull originally, so when you said Hull Truck, I, I was like, oh, yeah, you go Hull. <laughs> um, but similar, Hull's a, a very deprived um, area, but has a really great arts scene, has a really great theatre, has, you know, a real history of kind of arts and, and, and culture, um, but very low income. And so we we went to see Panto and we, we got the cheapest tickets because me and my mum sat right, 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 like literally on the last row in this huge, huge theatre. And there was about four other people in the Panto. <laughs> so like the gap between the people sitting in the front and us it was like I don't know, probably a thousand empty seats, <laughs> no. and just being like, and and literally Craig Charles being like, "Are there people at the back? Like, <laughs> what is happening?" Just like, yeah, that's us. That would be us. But yeah, you know that you sort of have grown up in that environment. Let's like say when you 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 know how important it is, and you something gets you through the door but there would be lots of things that potentially would would keep you out I think that's a a real a real need for people to to get in however they can yeah and I think I think the industry as well like I said earlier it's built on passion and goodwill and you know people do work long hours because they they kind of feel like they have to like I've, I've been there I've done those 12 14 hour days because it felt absolutely necessary but that's also unachievable like you know if, if you've got to commute long hours or you have caring responsibilities it that's it, it's really hard to sustain that kind of working life there are challenges to working in the industry there are challenges to the opportunities that are available I've I've managed a lot of apprentices um, through the venues that I've I've worked at, and I I think apprenticeships are amazing schemes and are a really awesome way to get real experience and get into a venue um, and a qualification out of it as well. But because of the rate of pay of apprenticeships, they're not open to everybody. The like we we know that we don't go into the arts industry for the money, but yeah, if anyone's here thinking they're going to come out of tourism industry or the arts industry is millionaires then um, yeah really? no. hit, hit the unsubscribe button now <laughs> no no don't go you don't go in for the money no. <laughs> we we do it for the passion and for the love of it and that's great but if you can't afford to pay rent then it's not an accessible job it's not an industry that, that you can survive in and it there's this 
still that issue now and that is that I mean that's a much wider discussion about funding and the value of arts and tourism in this country but there's 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 still a lot of that and it, it can feel isolating and it can feel like a real barrier to even just spending time with the people that you work with like you know going for drinks after work if you've got no disposable income if all of your money is going into your bills and into your debts then you can't you, you can't go for a drink after work you can't go out for somebody's birthday dinner and it feels really isolating and it feels there's a lot of shame connected to that but what I have found I am speaking from personal experience what I have found is just opening up to the right people and being honest about it lessens the burden and what you do find is that people will really care and want to help you out (laughs) and want to support you and it and that's really lovely but I'm very lucky to have been surrounded by those people yeah and I think shout out to those of us who are now more senior in the industry and and if and if you're not these people then you should be these people is look out for those people who are struggling a little bit more than you are and buy them a drink for goodness sake like check in on your employees check in and like you say especially those that that sort of get overlooked because you think oh they they're young and they house share and whatever it's like yeah but they might that you know they they genuinely don't have the disposable income that you you kind of imagine that they do it's just check in on those people and and help them if you can you know give them a leg up sometimes invite them to things that maybe they wouldn't get a chance to do normally you know give them get them tickets get bursaries to events networking stuff and and just look out for them because i think it is people forget you know when when you get to be the person that can give people a leg up in the industry you should you should you know don't pull the ladder up behind you make sure it's waiting for someone else absolutely it's wedging the doorstop (laughs) yeah for everyone but that includes the team that includes the people who work there as well like you know i I've been working in this industry for nearly 10 years and there's some amazing shows going on in the city that I work and live in that I cannot afford to go to because <laughs> because of my salary. Yeah. Probably gonna and, say that. But well, no, and, and because quite honestly, you know, how much of your income could you spend on doing uh, I mean, you, you know, literally you could spend a whole salary of just going and seeing stuff in London. One of the things that that I realized uh after about a year and a half of living in London was that um you know, I, I worked in the theatre and I was seeing all the shows that we were putting on and having a great time. But I was talking to people in different venues that I had never been to. And there were some amazing, iconic venues and organisations that I knew of, but had never visited. And it'd be like, oh, that place is amazing, I think. Um, and some really cool shows, amazing casts and creatives being connected to to these shows. And, and I just wasn't seeing anything. So I decided (laughs) that I would put um, a little bit of money aside each month as and when I could and I would spend it on uh, the cheapest ticket that I could buy for uh, two different things so I was only spending like 10-15 pounds uh, per ticket and even that's unachievable for an awful lot of people Um, but one of them had to be for somewhere that I'd never been before Um, and I started it in uh, January 2019 and uh, booked a couple of tickets for a couple of shows and um, saw some really amazing things. Uh, But as I started to talk about it and tell people that I was doing this thing and um, or talking about the shows that I was going to, uh, people started to say, oh, I've got a spare ticket for this. Or, oh, I know somebody who works here who could sort us out. Or um, 
the, the like I said before, networking, suddenly I was meeting a lot of people and getting on some really great industry lists. <laughs> so in the end, I saw uh, I saw about 50 shows through the year. And I think I paid for about 10 tickets in total. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. I, and I think, you know, we, we, you say like, you know, dope pulls a ladder up behind you. That, that, that cross pollination of people is, we all want to, we're, we're all hospitable people by personality. There's a reason we do what we do. There's a reason we work in the industry we work in. So when someone says, I've never been to that venue and you work there, you think, well, I could, I could show you around. Like, why wouldn't I? Because I think everyone's genuinely just excited to show off their venue. So I think, yeah, definitely ask if if, if people are thinking, I'm, you know, I've kind of, I kind of know this person and maybe, you know, maybe don't ask them for the 170 quid tickets to see, you know, the, the blockbuster this weekend. But yeah, by all means, like, you know, ticket swapping for different venues, getting your staff onto ticket swap lists, that sort of stuff is, is really appreciated, I think, by people in the industry. It's sharing the, the the luxury and the opportunities that are available to us. It's, yeah. you know, we're, we're really lucky to be able to get what we do, but making sure that everyone's included in that is also really important. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, my word. Hattie, <laughs> I could talk to you, like, for hours, absolute <laughs> hours. Unfortunately, we're going to have to cut this sort of podcast. It's so, so Actually, We have more episodes at some point. So. I know. <laughs> Oh, oh thank you Do you know what? thank you so much for sharing your your information your knowledge and kind of your top tips for for our listeners it's really really appreciated how can we find you where are you on social media and um is there anything that you want to kind of share about what you're doing in, in your location yeah so you can find me on twitter uh, at hattie simpson i spell my name a little bit strangely there's no e on the end um so at hattie simpson on twitter and i'm on linkedin as well reach out get in touch i'm always really happy to talk if you're coming to any conferences um or you've never been to one before and you think you want to give it a try look for scholarships and bursaries um they they are available for 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 Every, for all of them and and come along and find me I'm really easy to spot because I've got very brightly colored hair it's currently blue um so, <laughs> so come and just come and grab me and have a chat or um I also have my own podcast as well which you Amazing. can check out <laughs> Hobos and Cocktails, uh, sounds for care of box office, uh, and Cocktails, uh, where I chat to people um, very similar to this, talking about uh, career paths and ticketing and marketing, um, the highs and lows of the industry, our favourite things, our funniest things, and some really hilarious stories are shared. So. <laughs> and Cocktails. Obviously. And Cocktails, it's set in my imaginary venue bar. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hattie, thank you so, so much again for taking your time to kind of share your information. Thanks again for listening to The Brown Sign Project. In our next episode, we're going to be talking to Ash Smart, co-owner and finance director of Harbour Park. The Brown Sign Project was edited by Paul Tyler and thanks again to our series sponsors, Staff Savvy and Stephen Spencer & Associates. 